You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Faith and Other Oddities. We are back to it. Um, we, when we last left you, we were trying to promise we were not trying to hawk <laughs> relics. Um, but we're doing that from chapter 10 of First Samuel. Right. Um, yeah, because Saul had to go visit the tomb of Rachel. And yes. This is a significant site. Yeah. It was pretty much what I was trying to <laughs> right. demonstrate. So, so significant that people still consider it Precisely. significant and holy um, to this day. Um, now, to say that, I, I really didn't follow most of what you were saying, to be honest. <laughs> um, and sorry about the noise with the kids. That's, that had my attention for a little bit of it, so I'm sure that was... They're enjoying a sunny day, so we got to sneak out for like 10 minutes and enjoy a bit of the sunny day. Yeah, so, yeah. But Too bad you're not staying. We're having going to grill burgers tonight. Yeah, yeah. I might need to get home before I get disowned over there. So, But, you know, I got two good meals out of the, the trip this time, yeah. so <laughs> I can't complain. And, but yeah, we're in uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to pick up at verse 3. And this is still Samuel giving Saul the instructions, the signs that Samuel is a prophet mm-hmm. and his words concerning Saul specifically are true. So verse 3 says, Then you shall go from there farther and come to the Oak of Tabor. Three men are going up to God at Bethel and will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. So the Oak of Tabor, we really don't know what it is, but we do know that that was probably another holy site. It had some kind of spiritual significance because so often when we talk about trees in the Bible, then we're talking about a place where people feel like heaven and earth are connected through this tree. This happens with rocks and mountains, Mm -hmm. and we discussed all of that. And uh, I'm not going to go into all of that again. But just a reminder, Saul's making the spiritual journey. It's not, and it's not just to one place. He's kind of going several places to see different things and to to hear from God in different ways. Mm -hmm. And this may speak to how much Saul needed to be convinced. And you can't really blame him. I mean, I think I would need some significant convincing too if somebody says, you know, hey, come be president. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, I'd probably just run the opposite direction. So you're supposed to be president. Nope. (laughs) Where is the whale? (laughs) We're just going to go straight for the that. Yeah. Just going to go jump straight in that fish. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So notice what they're uh, what they're carrying. They are. Well, first of all, they're going up to Bethel. We already have established that is a sacred place in the history of Jerusalem. This is where Jacob had seen the the ladder to heaven, the stairway Mm -hmm. to heaven. this is uh, used as a place for sacrifices, particularly after the destruction of Shiloh. And we, we presume that Samuel is presiding over some kind of sacrificial ceremonies when he goes there because it is one of the four cities that Samuel visits each year on his circuit. Mm-hmm. And going up, whenever you talk about going up, you go up to the temple, you go up to Jerusalem, you, you always go up to sacred places, and it's the language of pilgrimage. So you're, you're going to, to make some kind of holy trip where you're contemplating God, you're going to bring him the sacrifice, and 
it's going to be a, 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 a pivotal religious moment for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So these three guys, they have three young goats, three loaves of bread, and a skin of wine. Now, we, we already talked about... Sounds like, the, sounds like a picnic. Well, <laughs> a picnic, but also remember Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, when they brought Samuel to the temple, they bought three bulls, an ephah flour, which would allow you to make three times the bread or whatever needed mm-hmm. for the bulls. They brought three skins of wine. This is another reason why I think it's not a three-year-old bull. I think it is three bulls, and I sure. think this connection ties in. So it reminds us of the sacrifices that were presented on Samuel's behalf. And these men are carrying sacrificial goods. They're, they're taking them to Bethel. And when Samuel says, I want you to accept two of the loaves of bread, that Saul's supposed to take them. Now, these were offerings to God that now Sam, uh, that Saul is supposed to accept. Now, he's already accepted the food at the dinner that was supposed to go to the priest. Mm-hmm. So Saul is being given these signs that you're important, you're going to be significant, and you're going to get honor for fulfilling this position. And the thing is, only supernatural guidance would convince a pilgrim that they needed to relinquish this item to just some guy they meet along the road. Right. So this isn't just, hey, we're being nice to a fellow traveler. This is, you're worthy of the gifts we had set aside for God. So it's, it's a major statement. Mm-hmm. So verse 5. After that, you shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there'll be a, gar- a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come out to the city... You will meet a group of prophets coming down from a high place with a harp, a tambourine, a flute, a lyre, and before them prophesying. So Gibeah Elohim, this is, Gibeah can also just mean hill. So we think in this context, it's not the city, it's the hill of God. So another spiritually significant place. Sure. Uh, A Philistine garrison, to see that at this point, you know, this is kind of a reminder, why do we need a king? We need him to fight Philistines. Yeah, yeah. But Saul's um, uh, mission from Samuel is going to be to fight the Philistines. That's his primary mission. That's the one thing that he is supposed to do above all else. Yeah. And the, uh, the group or band of prophets is Navayim. They're there with several musical instruments. And this has caused a lot of debate because... Is this mantic or what's sometimes called ecstatic prophecy? Um, in a lot of cultures, music was used to produce a trance-like, a trance-like state that allowed the, the prophet to be um, uninhibited and to have access to the, the spiritual realm. And they would also include you know, things like sleep deprivation, extreme fasting, sometimes cutting. We see that with Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal. Anything that put extreme strain on the body. And this was very common in the, the Canaanite religion. And now the, the Bible never uses the term ecstatic or mantic in connection with God's prophets, with Yahweh's prophets. And music is used in the Bible along with prophecy, but it seems like the main difference is the Canaanite religions used music to get a person to a place to where they could access the spiritual realm. Right. Well, in, in the JPS, it says, um, it says the Lord will grip you and you will speak in ecstasy along with them. Oh, it's interesting that's, that the JPS says that because that's not what the Hebrew says. And so it doesn't have that, that word uh, ecstasy. It's, mm-hmm. it's not used in connection with God's prophets. 
And so it would, and what happens in the Hebrew religion, instead of using music to get you there, music is a product of having been taken there. So okay. it, it's, it's reversed from what the traditional or cultural expectations of music and prophecy yeah. really should be. And I guess you see that in, in the pattern of, of Hannah and in uh, uh, Mary. Yeah, Miriam and Mary, Miriam. It, it, it's always after that the music occurs, that when, after God showed up, then the music becomes an expression and celebration of the event, not something that creates the event. And mm-hmm. so well, that makes sense. Maybe we do our worship services backwards. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, it's funny because I actually, without having realized that particular thing, I actually mm-hmm. kind of, in the, in the book that I'm working on, I've actually written something, I've actually <laughs> written out that same principle without realizing it was so specific. I have to go back and add some scripture. Yeah. So, yeah, but now we're coming to this roving band of prophets and that everything points to them being a legitimate group of prophets mm. that, that these are not false prophets these are not prophets of another god these are yahweh's prophets it doesn't make sense that um samuel would send saul to go prophesy among the false prophets there, there's nothing that would even lend itself to that kind of con- um, interpretation i mean the only thing i could think of is if it's um like warning the philistines like hey we're done with you guys, but that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I and I don't think there's any, you know, other than just kind of that brush past the Philistines. Hey, they're here. This is going to be your job. There's no confrontation at this point uh, or even a point. I mean, we know the confrontation's coming, mm-hmm. but it's still going to be a ways down the line. So I, I don't know. I know some co- commentators have said that it's, you know, this wasn't necessarily a band uh, of prophets from Yahweh. There, I don't see anything in the text to suggest that. I, I just, sure. I don't get it. Now, we do need to remember that during the time of Shiloh, prophecy was rare. That's back in chapter three, verse one. And um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, and Samuel was at Shiloh and that's when God began to show up. That's when God began to uh, speak to the nation through prophecy. And the possibility that, you know, now all of a sudden we got roving bands of prophets is that, you know, during that time of repentance, whenever they actually were listening to, to Samuel and they, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God had fought the Philistines before them, that more of the nation was being called to that prophetic office and given the prophetic gifting. Mm-hmm. And so that would make sense because we know that there were far more prophets in Israel than what we have in the Bible. And we have hints at that. Right. And it's necessary. You'd never know that if you went to a Baptist church growing up. <laughs> Well, and but but think about it. I mean, they don't have telephones. They don't have TV. They, how in the world are you going to get the word of God out to an entire nation in a timely manner, especially in these time-sensitive subjects like war? Right, right. If you don't have multiple people spreading the word, so you might have one head prophet who who does the main amount of the speaking and gets remembered in the Bible. But then there were other prophets who were either, uh, you know, working directly under God, or maybe they were even working as that person being the, their leader of that prophetic school, which that's another option is that Samuel started a prophetic school mm-hmm. whenever um, he was leader over Israel. And we know that prophetic schools existed. So that's not such a far stretch. And we're going to talk some more about those in another episode. So verse six, then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And I think that's a really interesting that is very interesting 
I, I, I picked up on that and it, it's one of those that you're like, hmm, okay. It, it kind of, it kind of almost seems like a, a precursor of like transfiguration, but in a way you're like, I don't know if it's quite that, but it's, it's, it's really odd. The whole, whole situation is kind of crazy. Um, the, we'll work through the verse in, in order. So Ruach Elohim in Samuel, this is a, a term, the spirit of God is the, it's only used in connection with God's anointed. Mm -hmm. That's the only time we see it. Uh, it, it, the anointing itself is seen as an empowering act that it imparts something to the receiver that allows them to fulfill their God appointed mission and task. Right. And so you have to have this anointing. And of course, oil is a symbol of the Holy spirit. It has been throughout the Bible and continues to be into the New Testament. Um, this connects us to Sam, uh, Samson. Mm -hmm. uh, Judges 14.6 and Judges 15.4, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon mm -hmm. him. It's mm -hmm. the same words. And that was with the lion specifically. Uh, and again, when he kills the Philistines with a jawbone. But I think it's interesting with the lion because that's going to play into what Saul gets ready to do. And it's usually associated, those, those tasks that they're being empowered with, are usually associated with some kind of war, battle, conflict that mm. needs, you know, supernatural courage. Um, here, the, the Spirit of the Lord empowers Saul to prophesy, or more accurately, to, to become another man. What, writer, uh, what the writer is making clear is what Saul is saying is not his. It mm -hmm. doesn't belong to him. He's actually just going to be the conduit through which God speaks. Right. So in that moment, it's not Saul speaking, it's somebody else. And we aren't told who that somebody else, but we're going to assume that that other man is God speaking through him. And God alone is responsible for Saul's experience. He, he's not, you know, trying to get this emotional high at the end of a long worship service. He's actually responding to God descending and grabbing hold of him. Right. And that's the thing with prophecy. Prophecy is not something in the Bible that, that the prophets ask for. Matter of fact, most of them don't even want anything to do with it and they try to resist that's an ongoing theme mm -hmm. through all the prophets don't make me a prophet i don't want the job it's too much responsibility so verse seven uh next when these signs meet you do what your hand finds to do for god is with you so basically follow your gut listen to your instincts you you, you don't have to second guess yourself when god is with you like this you just do what he tells you to do don't overthink he's going to lead you mm -hmm. and this phrase is only used again with David. So, and we know that David has that prophetic gift, and we find that in Psalms where he writes prophetic psalm. Mm -hmm. So Samuel instructs Saul to go to Gilgal, and he will meet Saul there to offer sacrifices. And Saul's supposed to wait seven days, and Samuel's going to show up and show Saul what to do. Now, most commentators will tell you that this doesn't happen until chapter 13. This is like the, the only thing that doesn't happen in this chapter. This is going to wait. Uh, Zamora has a different take on it. He thinks it does happen, and we just aren't told about it because we aren't told about the rest of the, you know, any of sure. the other events happening. Right. Um, and there are aspects of doubling in Saul's story where we have these, these events that are very similar that happen a couple of times. And um, if Zamora is right, then it is important. It actually becomes more important as a doubled event. And it makes what Saul does in chapter 13 all the more troubling. And 
again, that's not the majority opinion. Right. I don't think it matters either way. I think it's going to, you know, Samuel said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, the, um, the to wait, the idea of going seven days to wait, that is very frequent within, um, within most religions, the, the idea that you would take this time for prayer and contemplation and, and self-reflection before making a major decision. And what bigger decision can a king have other than going to war? Do I put my people in that kind of, of trouble? But was Saul waiting on something else if this is a separate event? We, we don't know. Uh, but the, the Septuagint translates that word to wait as do nothing. You know, don't, don't do anything. You sit there. Mm-hmm. Wait for me to show up, and until you have my guidance, don't touch anything. Right. And that's going to be very important in chapter 13. So what we can see is that this time of waiting is, um, like I said, it is significant, but we also have it in, in other important events in the Bible. Jacob at Bethel, he, he waits. He doesn't go across with the rest of the family. He, he spends the night there alone with God. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses tending to the flocks after he leaves uh, Egypt. You know, he's spending that time waiting to figure out what in the world he's going to do. He, he doesn't know that he's going to be called by God, but he has to disconnect from the culture he knew before he can move forward. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I'm, I'm, yeah. it's kind of interesting because that, that kind of reminds me, too, of, uh, of the disciples when Jesus, after Jesus' death, he says, go and, and wait until I send mm-hmm. my spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until I send the spirit to help you. Yeah. And don't get ahead of God. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of interesting. Well, and yeah, that, that appointed time, you know, wait until God's leader, God's guide shows up to help you. And this is what Saul's going to get in so much trouble for is the fact that he, he doesn't, one of the things he gets in so much trouble for is he refuses to do that. And he's going to rush ahead of God and try to do things with his own wisdom and his own understanding and, you know, watch me while I complicate things. And that's what he does. And ultimately, it's going to mean he loses the kingdom. And it's just because he can't wait and he can't completely follow God's instruction. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we hear all these words from Samuel. And like I said, we don't get told how it happens, what Saul's thoughts are. and he only gives us, the writer only gives us a few details of the most important sign, and that, that's Saul prophesying. And so, but we're reminded about how all of this is accomplished in verse 9. So when he turned back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And I think that's an interesting phrase. Yeah, that, yeah, that the, he's, there's, there is a lot of stuff going on with the, he became a man, he received a new heart. That's a lot of, a lot of really, well, I think, oddly specific things. Yeah, I think one of the things we're seeing is, you know, we've already pointed out, you know, he's not a great shepherd. He doesn't know Samuel when he sees him. He, he doesn't know the basic protocol of even how to approach a prophet. You know, he seems to be kind of clueless. Mm-hmm. And in order for him to be a leader, he is going to have to be transformed into someone else. Right. He, he needs to be someone who's completely different, and he's, that's only going to happen if he relies on God's guidance and if he allows God to flow through him and direct him. Sure. And that, that's Saul's big mess up with all of this is that he fails to do that over and over again. But Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, 
says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. So we have that connection of heart and spirit, that the two of them go together. And it goes on, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. So Ezekiel, like I said, he's connecting those two, um, those two concepts. But Numbers 14.24, Caleb has another spirit, and it, it, it's celebrated. And he has followed God fully, and that's why he's given the land of Canaan. And this idea of having a new spirit and a new creation, this isn't a New Testament concept. This is something that has been around at least since Numbers, and then it flows through the rest of the, of the Old Testament. And in each of these verses, the, the new reality is the subject of a prophecy that flows from someone who is allowing themselves to be fully led by God. And if you don't have that, that full surrender that allows God to change who you are from just a human being to one of his children and being in close relationship with him, then you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, just the, the sheer reality to, to make it even plainer, when God fully reigns, people are changed. I mean, it's that simple. Right. And if, you know, people aren't changed, he's not really in control. So at least at the beginning of Saul's journey to the throne, there are moments where he is completely surrendered and under the control of God. Now, whether, you know, how did he choose this? You know, was he just so in shock? He's like, okay, so this is what we're doing today. Right. I mean, <laughs> I can see Saul having that attitude, but then it seems like as he gains confidence and he, oh yeah, I am king. I can do this. He stops relying on that in the way he did at the beginning of his reign, and it, it causes problems for him and the nation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is also, real quick, a, a snapshot of Acts 2, when, when God's Spirit you know, falls on all the people from all the different nations, and you know, they, they could step into the reality of God's reign, and they could actually be unified because they weren't seeing themselves as individual members of specific nations. They were saying, we're, we're under the reign of the one true king. So verse 10, uh, Saul doesn't begin to prophesy until he gets to Gibeah. Now, that's important. This is the only city or place that is not one of the sacred locations that, that Samuel's lifted off, listed off. Uh, and we're not supposed to forget where this began. Remember, this didn't begin with Samuel. This began in the city of Gibeah. Mm-hmm. And so we learn at this point that, or learn in verse 26, that this is Saul's hometown. He lives here. And so it sets the stage for verse 11. And I'm going to read that. And it says, and when those who knew him, when, when those who knew him had previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the man of the place answered, who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul among the prophets? Is Saul also among the prophets? So Saul's prophesying is proof that God is active. He's reigning in Saul's life because it had rushed upon him. It wasn't just a private experience. It had a public manifestation. And it's very similar to Numbers 11, 16 through 18, where God gives um, some of the spirit that Moses had to the 70 judges that they began to prophesy and they began to speak as an evidence that God had approved of the choice that Moses had made. But in both cases, neither the 70 judges or Saul are going to prophesy again. It's a one-time event. They aren't being called to the office. 
they just have the one-time experience. Mm -hmm. So temporary event. And the saying, what has happened to the son of Kish? Now, there's three ways to read this. The positive way, and this is, of course, the way the rabbis read it, because Saul's one of theirs, so you've got to protect him. Saul had managed to rise above his familial circumstance and to be honored as a prophet. Okay. Well, yeah, okay, Kish was not a prophet. None of the prophets actually are sons of prophets. That that's, Prophecy is not a gift that's passed down through the family bloodline. That is something that um, God gives to an individual. Mm-hmm. This is also one of the reasons why people didn't want Samuel to be left as the leader. Prophecy's an unstable institution. You know, you, you can't predict, okay, well, and, you know, we got King Saul now, and then 12 years, we're going to have Jonathan, and we kind of know what he's like, so we can be prepared for when he takes over. Right, right. It's, it's, God can choose anyone. And so often, I have a feeling, uh, and kind of just, I don't have any scriptural support right off the top of my head, God's picking people they would not have picked. Mm-hmm. And God's saying, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, I guess scriptural support would be Hannah, where you have a woman step up in a patriarchal society and say, hey, this is what's getting ready to happen, mm-hmm. and you aren't going to like it. And, but God seems to have that uh, tendency to surprise us. But there seems to be a cultural idea within this, with the ancient Near East that prophecy could have some familial standing, and we don't know exactly where that comes from. Uh, it's certainly not scriptural. Uh, the scriptures never negate it, but they don't endorse it. And so I, I think there, from what I've dealt with, with people who do have a prophetic gifting, and I'm not saying prophetic role, there's a difference, mm-hmm. as we've just pointed out. There, there does seem to be some family connection. But again, it, within the Bible, it's not about family connection. It's about who God chooses. Right. Well, and what's, okay, so to me, okay, so if, if Paul comes from an, uh, Paul, Saul, different Saul, <laughs> not that one. Um, he comes from an affluent family. Right. And so I kind of have this, okay, you know how you, there's, and I, I could be totally wrong, but you know how kids who come from families with lots of money, they have lots of varied interests that they mm-hmm. pick up for a little while and they put down and they <laughs> pick, and, and I, when I read this, I kind of hear like the people that know him go, oh, so, so we're a prophet this week. <laughs> right. Right. It is what it sounds like to me. Well, that's. And, you know. Last week it was geography. <laughs> well, and <laughs> you know. that's the thing. This that's the second way to read it. It's very negative. Is it ridicule? And but they even take it further. Is it ridicule because you don't want to be a prophet if you're from a good family? This is the last thing you do mm. because prophets they weren't normal. Right. They didn't fit in. They aren't real pleasant to have at the Thanksgiving dinner because, you know, they're telling people what's wrong with the country and what's wrong with them. And, you know, when creepy Uncle Fred gets told what's wrong with him and what he needs to straighten up in his life, Thanksgiving dinner's over. So, you know, it's (laughs) apologies to any Uncle Freds out there. It was just a random name. So, but um, basically the uh, the implications is that as a Gibor, as the son of a Gibor, Saul should not be at behaving this way. And even a superficial reading of the prophets, uh, you know, that, that makes it completely plausible. Heschel, I want to read what he um, says about prophets. 
a strange, one-sided, unbearable extremist. His words are shocking, often offensive to the more genteel society. Dignity is cast aside in favor of emotion, and he does not flinch from offending his audience. He lacks refinement, and the passion with which he reveals God's message seems wildly out of control to the masses, but to the one inspired, the means barely capture the intensity of the passion. So, you know, he, this is Heschel. Heschel's an expert on the prophets. Matter of fact, he has a book called The Prophets. Yeah. And if you're only going to get one book on the prophets, you want Heschel's. Yeah. Well, you started reading that. I'm like, I know which book that's from. <laughs> yeah. I've read that one. <laughs> Heschel's got a real good grasp on who the prophets are. I don't agree with everything, but I would say he's up there in the 90, 95% rating, um, approval rating. <laughs> so, um, certified fresh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no rotten tomatoes for him. So, okay. So the third way to read it is just an outright insult because the phrase there, and who is their father? And some, uh, some arguments say that this is implying that Kish was not truly Saul's father, because if Saul were a prophet, then his, his father should have been a prophet. But again, we kind of covered that doesn't always work out. And the thing is, it's, not unlikely and not unusual for a prophetic leader to be called a prophet. We see that in 2 Kings 2.12, uh, 6.21, and 13.14. Basically, who is their leader? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who's the one that, that helped guide them in the, this gift? So there is definitely the idea in the Bible that prophets don't just strike out on their own and do anything, that there is a time of discipline and learning sure. that can often, I, I don't know, always, I mean, obviously, well, I started to say, obviously, Moses didn't have it, but Moses had Jethro, who did a lot of training and teaching with him. So he spent some, some major time with Moses to help him, and Moses obviously re- respected his advice. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I do think we see the implications that prophets need to, to learn, mm-hmm. and don't just assume that because you've, you, you've had this moment with God, and I'm not discounting that moment with God, but that but, you know everything. But that's not... Well, but that's not an excuse to set the Bible aside any more than studying ancient Near East culture is an excuse to set the Bible aside. Right. I mean, it runs both ways Mm -hmm. because I have uh, encountered people who are, quote, receiving so many prophetic words that they can't even pick up their Bible because God's just giving them so much that it would overwhelm them to read their Bible on top of all the prophetic words they're getting. Yeah, that's when someone tells you that that's bunk. Don't. (laughs) Listen to that person. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. All prophetic words should be run through the Bible. They should be, uh, you know, compared and contrasted. Mm-hmm. And you should be trying to figure out, does this align with the Bible? If it does not align with the Bible, you, you should be done. Right. You know, that because I have heard some off the wall, wacky prophetic words. And even then, if it doesn't necessarily disagree, God says to test the spirits. The, and I don't care how many people look at you go, well, touch not God's anointed, you know, trying to say, don't question me. I, God said, test the spirits. Well, yeah, God said, test the spirits. The other, the, other one, the other one that people want to pull out is you should not put God to the test when they bring prophetic word. Well, I don't. I, I'm not testing God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have, like, you know, there's not a badge or an ID card or anything mm-hmm. coming along with your, with your word. Unless, you know, the so, heavens have parted and there's like a stream of light. <laughs> so, so, yeah, if I, if I can verify that it's God, sure, let's do what he said. But 
you know, until you, but I have to get the verification yeah. that, that what's being said is not counter to what well, he's clearly said. And God is not going to punish us for actually taking time to follow that scripture that tells us to, to you know, watch out for false teachers, watch out for false prophets to test mm-hmm, the spirits. Mm-hmm. That's obedience to God. Yes. And we need to be putting obedience to God above the person who might be screaming in your face. Right. And, and, and I want to be clear when I, when we talk about getting like prophetic words, mm-hmm. th- I mean, that, there's, there's, I say I want to be clear, but <laughs> it's so hard to actually, you know, tie it down. One thing I'm not saying is that a prophetic word is an addition to the canon. Right. Uh, right. That, it's, that it's something for the whole church. Right. Sometimes it can be something that's comforting. Sometimes it can be something that's correcting to a person in a specific situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I think God does move like that. Mm-hmm. I think he does have words for people. But I don't think it changes the the course of the church's mission as presented by Jesus. Right. I don't think that in any way we're supposed to like type this up and, and just staple it to the back of the Bible and, right. and say, look, he's still going. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and that's that's a big thing for us to say because we did come out of the tradition where God stopped talking after Revelation, right? You know, so and we we say that because we've had those experiences that have uh, I've had experiences that have proven to be insanely accurate, mm-hmm. where a mm-hmm. stranger in uh, this is funny in Mardell's uh, walked up to me and said some things that I'm like. There's no way you could have known that unless mm-hmm. God revealed it. And yeah, that's exactly what I, he was confirming what I was already feeling called to do. And it was just kind of like God's little stamp of approval, get, get moving. Mm-hmm. But then there's been times that people have said things to me and I'm like, you're off base. Right. And so, and I could say that because I knew my Bible. And so again, if you want to be able to discern between, you know, whether it's studying the ancient Near Eastern culture and context or prophetic words. You've got to know your Bible first. Mm-hmm. So we always want to point you back to Scripture. And there's always something new to learn in Scripture. And if you're feeling bored by Scripture, you know, find new ways to study it, whether it's a podcast, commentaries. Uh, you know, we, we always try to offer good sources here and find other ministries that, that you know you can trust. Contact us. We'll try to point you to people that we trust. And, um, you know, we, we want people to learn. That's, that's the reason why we're doing this. Yeah. So yeah. that, and it gives me a real excuse, really good excuse to learn more myself. So you yeah, know. I'm, I'm learning all kinds of stuff through this. It's been great. Yeah. So um, this, this becomes, uh, you know, what is also among the prophets becomes what's known as a masal, a, a proverb. It, it's um, still in use by the time that Samuel's written. Matter of fact, it's still in use in a lot of Jewish communities today. They use the positive interpretation of it. Um, and what the proverb means, though, really does depend. Do you think this is congratulations, you've overcome the odds, which is how the Jewish community uses it, or your behavior is beneath you, or, um, you know, even, you know, are you an illegitimate child of somebody is mm-hmm. because we don't really understand it. Proverbs are kind of have a little riddle to them usually, and this is the yeah. riddle. This one has quite the riddle to it. <laughs> exactly. and so. I um I tend to go with the negative reading, not so far as questioning Saul's uh, parentage, because the Bible does give the genealogy and says that is who his father mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to contradict the, the Bible, but I do think 
in today's church, being a prophet is such a bright and shiny thing. And it's one of those, it's one of the gifts that people always pray for. And it's what they want to have because it seems so appealing to realize in, in Israel during the Bible times, no one wanted this gift. Right. Okay. And that is confirmed throughout. And we can start with Moses and, you know, all the excuses he gave God and we can go all the way through Malachi and we can find, you know, especially Jeremiah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, uh, uh, (laughs) what did you do to me? And there's actually, uh, I didn't plan on bringing this up, but there's actually a rabbinic proverb that was there ever a time in Israel that they didn't wish to kill the prophets? So being a prophet was a hazardous job. Right. And there was no hazard pay. Uh, you got roadkill from ravens. So anyway. But <laughs> versus- Possibly. I mean, there is the rabbinic uh, tradition <laughs> that the ravens uh, were, were stealing food from Ahab. Yeah, that's which- a... Story. I think that that would be the kind of funny thing God would do. I, well, and that's the thing. A lot of some of these rabbinic traditions, you're just like, where in the world do they get that? And then there's some that you know the rabbi who 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 first told it really had a sense of God's character and the things God liked to do. And I think with like that particular story, you you do see, oh, this is a this is a rabbi who understood that God liked to just use everything bad and redeem it and turn it into something that Mm -hmm. his people could use. So, and for those of y'all who don't know, that's part of the reason why we have Eli the Raven on our stuff. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's God's provision. (laughs) Yeah. It's a reference to to God providing for, um, for people. Yeah. So I know a lot of people, we need to actually post that someplace. (laughs) Well, I, I, I've, I've been working on something to add to the website. I'm actually going to put it on the bios page, but I, I need to edit it down. Of course you do. It's not like we have too many words ever. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So verses 14 through 16, Saul returns. He's on the, you know, the the prophetic high has dissipated and his uncle asks him where he's been. And and Saul's answer is kind of cryptic. He, He says to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Of course we did. This is, yeah. Like I, yeah, we were smart enough to figure that out. You know? Um, but the uncle asks, you know, what did Samuel say? And Saul says nothing about being anointed king. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, his reluctance to say anything kind of reminds us of Samson and the lion. You know, we mm-hmm, referenced that mm-hmm. earlier. Why isn't he saying anything? Does he, does he not think it's true, but despite all the signs that he's experienced? Is he hoping it's not true? Well, okay, let's say... Let's put ourselves in Samuel's position. Saul, say it. One of those Saul, S's, Saul. One of those, <laughs> one of those guys with the S name. Um, the, you know, you put yourself in his position. You come back and you tell him, what happened? They said, I'm going to be king. Right? I mean. <laughs> well, because the person who's not going to believe you, the person who's going to be the first one to say, yeah, right. Is your mom. Okay. Right. You know, I mean, oh, you're going to be king now. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Sit down and eat your dinner before it gets cold. You know, and, you know, I don't, and I know our uncles who were our biggest hecklers growing up, uh, you know, that would have been just a license to, to run amok. Yeah. You're going to be king now. You don't even have your own place, but you're going to run the country. Okay. Sure you are. Let's make you a crown. <laughs> you know, that's, we went to Burger King. Here you go. Um, Man. 
So, you know, and that's the third option. It could be that Saul was just smart enough not to open his mouth until Samuel confirmed it publicly. So we aren't given... There's some news, but I think it's best if you hear it from someone else. Yeah, yeah, because you aren't (laughs) going to believe it. Yeah. So, and fortunately, he doesn't seem to have to wait long. Verses 17 through 19. Now, Samuel called the people together at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up from Israel, brought you, uh, I brought up Israel, sorry, brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your, uh, all your calamities and distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your ti- tribes and by your thousands. So, okay, it's time for the new king to be publicly acknowledged. But first, we're going to tell you how much you are messing this up. Right. This is Samuel. He cannot resist an opportunity to correct the people and remind them of how they are just <laughs> major screw-ups. Every speech he gives is going to include this. By the way. <laughs> I think this is a bad idea, but this is what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do it, but I don't want you to forget it's a bad idea. <laughs> we're going to do this stupid thing. It, you know, okay, so it kind of... It okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on dad a little bit. I'm thinking of dad the whole time. I love. Okay. So (laughs) every time we had a graduation, (laughs) not only my dad, but some other dads that I know would, I I would always catch some kind of, I don't know why we're wasting our time with all this. And and even one of my friends who graduated, he said that at my wedding, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's, we're going to do this thing because because your mama wants it like that's the yeah you know it's like it's like i think this is a waste of time but this is what she wants and so that's kind of what the attitude reminds me of and i even had one of uh one of my friend's dads at their kid's graduation being like i don't know why they spend all i don't know why the district spends all the money on this because they 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 rented out the the civic center mm-hmm. because they didn't have any place big enough to to house all the the, the graduates family, yeah. and the families and everything and he's like, I don't know why they do this. He's like, they're just, the diploma's not even in there. They're just going to mail it to him in two <laughs> <Right>? weeks. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's what I'm thinking of here. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to do this thing because you said you wanted to. I think it's a waste of time, but whatever. Yeah, th- this whole thing, it's so funny because I hear dad in, in Samuel's words so much. You know, well, I hope that works out for the best or, you know, mm-hmm. good luck with that. You know, <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's, it is that attitude. And so. Um, you know, and Samuel, he, he does pause and he reminds Israel of their history. This is the other thing. And I think this is really crucial. And I think this is one thing we miss out on as Christians. When there is some kind of decision or crisis, Samuel always goes back and goes, okay, look, you were in Egypt, you were slaves mm-hmm. and God did all of these plagues and all of these miracles and all of these wonderful things to get you out of there. Mm-hmm. He brought you through the wilderness. He took care of you, held your hand, wiped your nose until you got the, where you needed to be. He has been faithful and you've done nothing but treat him like dirt. And, yeah. you know, and this is, I, I, when I say we're missing out on as Christians, we don't often stop and look at our history. Right. We don't look at the, the story of God's saving grace, not only in our lives, but in the lives of you know, throughout history to be able to preserve his word and be able to make sure that it's still here. 
when you start looking at the things God has done to make sure that you and I can read this Bible and that we can actually have an opportunity to know him, mm-hmm. that strengthens your faith. And when you realize that this history of people in Egypt, that's part of our history too. Yeah. That, that's Roman, what, Romans 11? That- yeah, something like that. Yeah, Paul talks about it, but I don't think, you know, I think there's this separation that we sometimes have. Well, you know, that was them, them then, this is me now, and God doesn't see it that way. It, it, God sees this as the continuation of that original exodus out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so we need to kind of reclaim those moments where God saved a nation as God incorporating that into our salvation plan, because it is a continuity. And God, you know, he's still the same. Yep. So um, Samuel calls for the tribes to present themselves, and he's going to begin to use lots to select. First, he's going to select the tribe, and then the tribe's going to be divided into thousands or kind of clans. And then he is going to uh, divide it down into individuals. Now, is, this, um, is this to echo uh, Moses and, and the way the, the clans would gather around the temple? Or the tabernacle? Close. Okay. Think of the other story where lots are cast to to single out a person. Not Moses, but Joshua. Oh, no. Okay. I was thinking of the other guy who stole the silver. Um, Yes. yes. Oh, is that who we are? Okay. Joshua (laughs) 7, Achan. And it's the same words. So there's this implication in because he's not using the Urim and Thummim. Accidentally got it right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. He's not using the Urim and Thummim. Urim and Thummim. I don't know why I always do that. I know how to pronounce Hebrew, I promise. But he, he doesn't use that. He's using lots. He's, he's casting lots. And that these are two separate ways of, of discerning God's will. They're not right. the same. And that's going to be important again in Saul's life. So remember that. Uh, so the lot falls on, you know, Benjamin. And then it falls on uh, his family, the son of Kish. But one of them cannot be found. And verse 22 this is a comedy here. So they inquire again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself among the baggage. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with this. I mean, God's not talking. He's not saying a word. They're having to use lots to figure out what God wants. And, you know, and God controls the lot, so it's still a revelation of God's will. But then when Saul hides himself among the baggage, God speaks up. I mean, it, and, it, and it may be that he, <laughs> and it, it's highly likely that he was actually started out fairly humble mm-hmm. and, and kind of embarrassed of the idea that this is actually happening. Well, he didn't tell his uncle. Right, And so, and that is one reading that the rabbis have of that. And I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. And I, I, I think sometimes the, the positive readings of Saul and the negative readings of Saul shouldn't be so separate. I think there are overlaps. Well, well yeah, there's overlaps. There's back and forth. Everyone has bad, bad days. Uh, you know. Well, and, you know, I know there's been times that people have said some really great things about me. And, you know, I wanted to hear them. I mean, I honestly wanted to hear the great things they had to say about me. But at the same time, I was totally embarrassed and I wanted to crawl under the closest rock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of get it. Um, the, the, the negative reading, the positive is that it's, he's humble. Sure. The negative reading is that this is a political move. And so not only has he been chosen by a lot, but that he has also 
God has had to reveal him. He has forced God to to actually speak up and and say, "Hey, you're the guy." Mm. And so he could have been. I don't know if Saul's that politically savvy. I I. Well, and yeah, and I do have a couple questions. Number one is this: is this um. So we we referenced the guy with the what's the who's it's uh, Aiken. Aiken. So this is you said this is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Is it? And then, is there any uh, connection to the teraphim being hidden under the saddle? So, any kind of, you know, I hadn't picked up on that, but there could be because I mean, Rachel was the one who hid the teraphim, and Saul it is just her. came from the grave. Yeah, so that there could be. I'd have to look into that. That's actually pretty good. Um, I'm gonna get nasty uh, text from her later <laughs> if there is anything because yeah. that means hours of. <laughs> Of digging it means i'm gonna go down the rabbit trail um so yeah i i man no that would be because there's nothing positive about choosing the king and even samuel's words when he was talking to saul back at his house you know the the people covet you mm-hmm. and so samuel seems to he understands that that this is a punishment for the nation he sees all the the negative connections it has and you know i think i I think there might be something to that but man oh yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna do some research okay so verse 23 and 24 (laughs) behold it's a man (laughs) and it's really funny because it sounds like it should be something that's obvious like that guy over there the tallest guy who's crouching (laughs) down it's a comical scene I don't think we, you know, we, we tend to read the Bible. We're being so holy and pious and we're, we're going to you know, take God's word seriously. And God's like, guys, I have some fun. You know, I, he really does. Yeah. Let's loosen up a little. Yeah. Look at the platypus. <laughs> yeah. We won't go down that one because I, yeah. So anyway, uh, verse 23 and 24, then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of all the people from his shoulders upward. So the people are running you know, to their king, but they're also running from their God. And despite Samuel's warnings, the people, they, they want a king more than they want to do what God says. And that's the thing I find over and over in the Bible. It's funny how many times God gives people what they want the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, you can have it, but you, you aren't listening to me. And so in their blindness, of how the situation is playing out with their new king hiding in the baggage, you know, and God having to be the one to reveal where their king is, they they don't understand. God is making it super obvious. If I've got to go hunt him down well, for it, you, that yeah, and that that's exactly right. It's like, like no, the thing you, it's right there. Look where I'm pointing. Yeah. You, you, there's this thing you say you want, and I'm telling you exactly where it is, mm-hmm. and you don't even recognize it. I, I have to tell you what it is you even think you want. Yeah, and you, you don't need a king. Obviously, you don't need a king because I'm the one who's, who's right here speaking, guiding you to what you think you want. How much more evidence do you need that I'm sufficient? <laughs> I'm being fired, and you're asking me to train my replacement. Exactly. I mean, that is exactly what's going on. And so, you know, it's, we can laugh, but at the same time, how many times are, are we the nation of Israel going, no, God, really, this is, this is what I want. And Mm -hmm. so, 
But we're reminded that Saul is taller once again. And, and this is the one thing that qualifies him in the people's eyes. Not only has God revealed about, oh, look, he's tall. I mean, you know, it's like a girl on a blind date. Oh, yay, he's tall. Uh, <laughs> the, the tender profile didn't lie. Um, but so verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see him, him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him in all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. So, you know, you chose, the, you think you chose a king. Mm -hmm. Here's the guy I'm giving you. Don't, don't, don't make a mistake. Don't think that you were smart enough to pick him out. And this is, it's ominous because, you know, you, you I think you kind of had to have a dad like ours. It's funny. I actually have that in our notes <laughs> because I, I was hearing dad. You can almost hear Samuel smirk. There's none like him and all the people. Oh, I yeah. mean, <laughs> this is a dad thing. I mean, no one else like her. <laughs> well, it's just like the old, uh, what's the old Groucho Marx thing? <laughs> nothing quite like a good cigar. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is nothing like one. <laughs> yeah. I And that it's, the people hear what they want to hear in Samuel's words. Mm -hmm. They they aren't hearing the truth behind Samuel's words. Oh yeah. yeah, and you know he's not like you. This guy, he isn't even what you wanted. You don't know what you wanted, but God actually he he, he provided it. And I have a, I have a book around here <laughs> called the uh, it's, it's called the Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations. You bought me a copy of it, liar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and she's not calling me a liar. It's the acronym liar. It is, and uh, it's, it's how to write recommendation letters for people you don't want to work at your company anymore. Mm -hmm. I was trying to remember some of them, but, but we liked it because it was the way dad would talk. And you needed to really, I, I don't know how many times dad would tell us something and I would be like, hey, yeah, wait, wait a, a minute. minute. <laughs> and that's exactly what Samuel's doing here. He, he, there's none like him. and. So he he's letting the people know you think you're getting one of your own to lead you, but there's something else going on with Samuel with Saul that you aren't prepared for. But God knows exactly what he's giving you because he's getting ready to teach you a lesson by allowing you to have your way. Mm -hmm. And so the people shout, Long live the king. And this is the first time that Saul is referred to as a king, a melech. Uh, before that, it's always been for the regent or the, the or leader, prince. prince. Or, yeah. yeah. And so it's not God or Samuel who give Saul the title king. It is the people. This is their doing, not God and Samuel. And, and this, the writer goes out of the way to make that very clear Yeah, that this is, seems to be, I mean, it, it, it's that weird thing where it is such a dad move. God's involved. He's letting it happen. Well, and, and is it, and what I'm trying, what I'm piecing together, I'm trying to put it together here in my brain, but it kind of seems like from what, from what you're saying and the ways that it's been interpreted and, and put together is that there was, it's almost like Saul was supposed to be this, this person who was to get everyone ready for the monarchy. Mm -hmm. And he was going to be kind of this regent who prepared the way for God's chosen person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, here's this guy who's going to be in charge. Of oh, the king. And you're yeah. like, well, wait till I'm finished. <laughs> but, you know, it, but they didn't. No. Yeah. They, they took it. And again, this is when you 
get out of balance, when you get out of bounds and start going beyond what God has specified, you fall into sin. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a good thing, if you go beyond what God has specified, I mean, and we can apply that to so many things. If I eat too much chocolate cake, it's not going to be a good thing. I had a full bag of wasabi soy uh, flavored almonds. Don't eat the whole bag in one setting. Your stomach will hate you. But, you know, I was was thinking about like sometimes, you know, you can you have to like with children, you don't say we're going to have ice cream after dinner. What they hear is we're going to have ice ice cream. cream. Yeah. Yeah. Again, now timing. And (laughs) that's and the people aren't paying attention to God. They're just, oh, God's saying what I want to hear. And I, I. I'm sorry I heard some static in the background, but I can ignore that. Mm-hmm. You know, he should have been clearer if he wanted me to understand. And then they're like, why did you yell at us? Uh, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing. And, and I don't think we can read this without, I know at least you and I can't, maybe other listeners can't. I don't think we can read this without hearing that, that kind of parental, you know, long suffering. I'm going to guide you through it once again, because you just don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, this is this is God letting the the two year old have the jalapeno pepper, and yeah, this is because they think it's what they want. And he he's like, you've got to look bigger, you've got to look beyond, you've got to look beyond the outward appearance, you've mm-hmm. got to look beyond even you know. Saul's a great warrior, okay. Right. We we cannot take anything away from him on that front. And be honest, he's a great warrior. Love him or hate him, he sure could fight. Yeah, but he is not a man after God's own heart, and and you can't be the leader of Israel and not be that person who reflects God's heart. Now, don't get me wrong. David has his flaws. He's got some huge, deep flaws, and we're going to talk about those. But, and that's one of the questions people have. How can David be a God, a man after God's own heart, but still be so flawed? And so we're going to get into that when we get to David. Yeah, I I think that's going to be a fantastic series. Like, I know you, I know you typically (laughs) don't care to to do these, but... No, well, we've been we've been finding a lot of interesting stuff. I've been finding a lot of interesting stuff here. And, I'm having and a blast. <laughs> I'm I am excited to to kind of get into some of what David has has done and and kind of kind of put that together and, yeah. and see that again. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to run into a lot of hey, this is not a lot of things David did were not necessarily God recommended, right? Um, or you know, God wasn't real happy with, and God was flat out angry about some of the things that David did. Sure. Um, but we're going to talk about why um, that didn't disqualify him as a king, right? right. So, so well, cool. Well, that seems like a a good spot to wrap there. Yeah. Um, we we found Saul in the baggage, and <laughs> and we're gonna make him king. Yeah. So, or yeah. <laughs> Great recommendations there. <laughs> We found this. This will do. <laughs> anyway, uh, so before we get too crazy, uh, I think we should tell everyone, if you want to join our craziness, um, be sure to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Raven Creek SC. Uh, find us and our other shows at RavenCreekSC.com. Uh, if you want to uh, support us, please uh, rate us on iTunes, write us a review, share us with a friend. Any of that stuff helps and is appreciated. And um, if you really like what you heard and want to fuel this insanity, get us uh, some new chairs, <laughs> uh, get us some new chairs that don't hurt after 30 minutes. Um, that would be fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Patreon or like, PayPal or so. PayPal. Yeah. You can donate to us either of those ways and, uh, or keep, ship us chairs <laughs> keep us, or ship us chairs. We will, we're not above that. So 
anyway. Enough begging. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's enough begging for today. And again, I don't know how to end these. We'll just we'll see, see you next, you next time. week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.